This program is brought to you by Bible Way Media, a work of the Ulaga Church of Christ. Our lesson is entitled very simply, Nightmare, because if you ever had, there's probably a nightmare you've had at some point in your life that you probably still remember. Uh, I've had a few that I don't care to discuss. I had some that scare you when you play Why was that terrifying? Uh, you know, when, when you're younger, certain movies even scare you and cause you to have uh, nightmares. You know, when I was a younger, I was a kid, the movie Kid was out, the first version of it, and I thought it was a terrifying movie. And then several years later, I went back to watch it, and I thought, this is the dumbest thing I've ever seen. Didn't find it scary at all. I wouldn't say that about the newer ones, or like the previous one watching it, but there are certain things that do frighten you. Everyone probably, I think, believe in my mind, probably everyone at some point in their life has had at least one nightmare. Something, something that you dreamed about that was not maybe very enjoyable. Sometimes it's a dream that is so vivid you that you will never forget it. We may not even realize why or why, we, why that still sticks in our heads still today. But there are some dreams that still stick with us. And when we talk about a nightmare, of course, it's not talking about something pleasant like the image on the screen there depicts there. It's not to be something that we think, man, I wish we could have that dream again. Uh, you know, that's not something we typically say about a nightmare. So I want to show this point what the Christian should actually fear. And what we begin by thinking about what is a nightmare? Well, by definition, a nightmare. Also called a bad dream, is an unpleasant dream that can cause a strong emotional response in the mind, typically fear, but also despair, anxiety, and great sadness. People remain asleep during bad dreams, whereas nightmares can awaken individuals. The dream may contain situations of discomfort, psychological or physical terror, or panic. After a nightmare, a person walks in a of distress, may be unable to return to sleep. For a short period of time. I think I have a number of times, no matter what dream I'm having, I know if I'm the only one here who's ever thought that you're in a dream, you feel like you're falling and you wake up. It jumps, at least that happens to me uh, several times. When you jump, you wake up, when you feel like you're falling or you think you're about to fall, and it startles me every time, I always wake up with noise when that happens. That's not really a nightmare, but there are those things of distress and situations that cause us to wake up. The word nightmare is derived from the English, Old English uh, mare, a mythological demon or goblin who torments others with frightening dreams. You ever heard growing up, if you watch that movie or you watch that show, that you're going to have nightmares? You know, typically our response is, oh, I'll be fine. You know, I've heard that before. And then you watch a movie as a child, and in the middle of the night, like, they get up and they come tapping you on the shoulder, right? Uh, maybe when we were younger, we did the same type of thing, but, uh, you know, nightmares are something that can be very frustrating. Sometimes they can, no doubt, indeed, scare you, and you wake up in the morning, and they're good enough that you can remember them, and maybe talk, talk about them to your parents, or to your husband, or to your wife, uh, concerning what nightmare it was that you had. And so we want to ask a question, you think about this idea of a nightmare in the realm of spiritual nightmares for the Christian. 
We want to ask the question, what frightens you? What do you fear? Is it an object, an animal, a sickness? It can be anything that scares you. Now, here in the last few months, I've gotten to riding a little bit more, and every time I go to a new place, I'm scared. One thing I'm on the outlook for that does annoy me or frighten me just a little bit is some big dog that I don't see until he's too close. Now, I've had some dreams about it. I'll call it, say they're nightmares, but it does keep me alert. And I've done different things to try to prevent that, but there are certain things that do cause you to be afraid. It could be an animal, it could be a sickness, as we know today, it's not no doubt, we're living in fear. What should frighten the Christian? In Matthew chapter 10 and verse 28, here the Lord speaking says, Do not fear those who, who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. But rather, fear of him is able to destroy both soul and body and hell. Matthew 10, verse 28. This is a very clear-cut reminder of who the Christian should fear. Now, there's no doubt in my mind we're talking about who should we fear. It's talking about you fear God. Mankind can do things to cause our life to come to an end. But mankind cannot cause our soul to endure eternal Punishment. Only God can do that. He tells us there in verse 28, but cannot kill the soul. We're not talking about the soul actually comes to the end, it actually comes to cease to exist, but he's talking about we endure some of the torment, and later, of course, hell itself, the place where we will endure torment, we're not faithfully God, and those things, those things will never come to the end. That's what he's actually talking about. They're not literally killing the soul. But rather, fear him is able to destroy both soul and body and hell. God can do a lot more harm to us, and he will do harm to the wicked. And so who should we fear? Well, we find here in verse 28, we should fear God. We should not fear men. There are some what I call nightmarish descriptions in the scripture. Some things that we read about, we think, sometimes we're not here when we just kind of read over them. We think, well, that doesn't sound very pleasant. But when we actually stop and we slow down and we consider what is being discussed and the length of these types of things, it is become a very horrible place to think about. One of the places described in the scriptures is Hades. Now, Hades is actually what we call the Hadean realm, which depending on if you're a faithful servant of God or if you're not, you can be talking about paradise. If you're faithful, you can be talking about torment. If you're not, well, we're going to be referencing Hades here in reference to torments here. And it's described in Luke chapter 13, verse 22, as a place of dwelling and gnashing of teeth. Beginning in verse 22 of Luke 13. The Bible says, He went through the cities and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. And one said to him, Lord, are there few who are saved? And he said to them, Strive to enter through the narrow gate. For many, I say to you, will, it will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen up and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and knock on the door, saying, Lord, Lord, open for us. And he will answer and say to you, I do not know you. Where are you from? Then you will begin to say, We ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. But he, but he will say, I tell you, I do not know you. Where, where you are from, depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. Now, really, perhaps we have really some, not just one description of a, of a nightmare scene, but at least two here. Because we find here in verse, in verse 22 and following, Christ is going and preaching and teaching. 
And he encourages the him here in Luke chapter 13, verse 24, where he says, Strive to enter through the narrow gate. And he says, For many I say you will seek to enter and will not be able. Many want to go to heaven, but the reason they're not able to enter, as he's implying there in verse 24, is because of their lack of obedience, their lack of obedient faith in God. Not just to believe, as we talked about a little bit this morning, but they haven't put on Christ and baptism, they haven't made, made God the God of their life. And so, so for that reason, verse 24, they want to go to heaven. We might say, just not bad enough. They want to enter, but they will not be able. Verse 25 says, When once the master of the house has risen up and shut the doors, you begin to stand outside and knock at the door. The master is inside, it's implied his faithful are inside with him. The others are outside knocking there in verse 25, right? That's not where you want to be. Again, he's quiet this. We're talking about spiritual things here, being spiritually outside of where Christ is. We're talking about outside the body of Christ. We know the body of Christ represents the church, or the saved, or make, or make up the church. So therefore, the saved are in Christ. Those who are not in Christ are those who are not saved. And so we find in verse 25, there are those who are outside. And they were knocking there in verse 25, saying, Lord, Lord, open for us. And he'll answer and say to you, I do not know you where you are from. Then you'll begin to say, We ate and drank in your presence and taught in your streets. We hear people say this today, right? Because most people, unless they're just atheists or just outright rebellious, most people come in contact with, or many of them, I should say, will claim to be a Christian. Now, use that term very generically. Because those who, who, who have, have a Bible in their home, sometimes they will believe that they're already a Christian. But we find here in verse 26, he, they, they respond here, when Christ says, you know who you are or where you are from there in verse 25, they respond in verse 26 and say, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. They what? We were there, right? Well, I think of this, I was thinking about those who, uh, who attend services and they think that's enough. They say, well, I was there Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, I was there for other things. No, you know me. That's not what Christ says here in verse 27. But I'll say, but I will, he will say, rather, I tell you, I do not know you, where you are from, depart me, all you workers of iniquity. That's another word for sin, so he calls them workers of, of sin, those who are doing evil. He says in verse 28, then he, he describes just briefly a place we know as torments, right? There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all across the kingdom of God and yourselves thrust out. Yourselves thrust out. That's a place, that's a situation that should haunt us. A place that we want to avoid. A situation that we want to avoid. Now here's, without a doubt, a very nightmarish description. There is a place reserved for those who follow God. There is a place reserved for those who have not obeyed God. We also find a place where the nightmare never ends. We know that God will hate being around. We know those individuals are reserved under judgment until Christ returns. We'll all be raised and sent before Christ in judgment. And we find here in Revelation chapter 21 a place where this nightmare never ends. He talks about the second death, the lake of fire, Revelation 21 and verse 8. He says, The cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, or fornicators, more aptly, Sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. We reminded 
to is he says, here's a second death. Well, the second death is reference to what? It's a reference to eternal damnation, not just torment, but a place where the unfaithful will dwell for all eternity, a place where there is no escape. The Christian only has to face, face death one time. Hebrews 9, verse 27 and 28 says, then he will begin to say, excuse me, go back here. Uh, Revelation, uh, Hebrews 9, verse 27 and 28, has it appointed for men to die once, that is the judgment. So Christ is offered once to bear the sins of many to those who eagerly wait for him. He will appear a second time, apart from sin, for salvation. So we find in verse 27, how many times does man have to die? Just once. And let Christ comes back before we die. We're all going to die one day. That's the reality of it. He says it's appointed to man to die once. But after this, the judgment. He tells us there the Christian only has to face death once, but that's not so for the disobedient. We find in 2 Timothy 4 and verse 8, remember finally verse 28, he says that he'll appear apart from sin for salvation, even when Christ comes back, is to bring the faithful home with him. We find in 2 Timothy 4 and verse 8, finally there is left for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all that love his appearing. He appears for salvation, but only for those who love him. That is, for salvation's sake, it's only those who love him. Now, all will rise and sit before the judgment seat of Christ, but only those who love him imply what? They have put their faith in God, their obedient faith in God, will be able to go on to the heavenly home. Only those who love him. That's reserved for those who have loved his appearing. Those who have loved his appearing, his appearance in reference to Christ. Those who love Christ need to go home to the heavenly home with him. With him. Not so the disobedient. You think about that situation. He says in verse 8, The righteous judge will give to me on that day. Not to me only, but to all those who have loved his appearing. Now, it is exclusive there in verse 8, isn't it? Only one group gets that uh, gets that crown of glory, the crown of righteousness that's mentioned there, right? No other group is mentioned. So we can realize there, come to conclude that those who are not righteous will not get that crown of righteousness. He says, not to him only, that is Paul. He says, and, but to all those who have loved his appearing. We're not talking about those who just claim to be a Christian, but those who actually have faithfully followed God. You think about some nightmares, we have to think about some certain situations that reveal in the Bible that we realize should help us understand the importance of being faithful followers of God. Nightmares are things that happen to us at various times in our life, various reasons, various things that are in those dreams can cause us great distress, cause us worry. I might say sometimes just freak you out a little bit because you don't understand why you have those dreams or what, or what really is even going on. But there's another occasion we want to consider if you think about some lessons for us today, and that's the nightmare of a certain rich man. We look at Luke chapter 16, which comes now, we're going now to our main text for our lesson. The nightmare of a certain rich man. In the beginning of Luke 16, verse 19, the following the Bible says, there was a certain rich man, and it's always interesting to me that he says certain. He doesn't apply to one individual, which tells us anyone can be this certain rich man, right? 
When we say rich, we don't mean that necessarily he was. Now, the Bible tells us here, this man, he actually fared subsequently, which means he had a lot. In comparison to the man who did not have a lot, who had a lot of hardship in his life. But when we think about this rich man and the poor, you know, this poor beggar Lazarus, all this is reminding us, and to me, when I think about the poor, the rich here being contrasted, what it's telling us is, is no matter how much you think you have, you're going to try to earn your way to heaven by having great possessions, you forget about it. This is the word for this certain rich man, right? The Bible says he was clothed in purple and found in and fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate, desiring to pay with the crumbs which fell on the rich man's table, for the dogs came and licked his sores. Verse 19 through 21. So you have there the context of right? The rich man is doing very well. Lazarus, he's, he's struggling. He's, he's a beggar. He has sores. All he wants, he says there, the crumbs from his table, which we would say today is leftovers, basically, right? Verse 22, so it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. Now notice the, the description is mentioned there. He died, he was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom, which we know is a reference to paradise. The place Abraham's bosom just means he was, he was brought to where Abraham was, close to Abraham, right? The rich man also died and was buried. That's it. He died, he was buried, right? There was no carrying away by the angels saving his bosom. Because that's reserved, as we've already seen, for a certain group of people, right? Now, for the rich man, now think about it for a moment, really, Lazarus in his life, he kind of did have a little bit much of a nightmare life. Can you imagine having just stayed at a rich man's gate, being laid up there with swords, and just hoping that he can get the crumbs from his table? That's not a pleasant thing to think about. That's a horrible condition to be in. But as we get from check from verse 23 to Paul, when we find things to really reverse, you might say, go, go beyond just reversing their situations here. Verse 23, the Bible says, and being informed, because we find here verse 22, we're still talking about the rich man. He died with Mary, verse 23, and being informed, he's not talking about Lazarus, because Lazarus is where? He's in Abraham's bosom. He's where Abraham's at. So we're talking about the rich man, the certain rich man. Being in torment and haze, so there's another reason why we can say haze is not always talking about torment, haze being the Hades realm. Hades can be a reference to torment or to paradise. To hear the rich man is a reference to torment. He lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. We're not comparing heaven and hell in this occasion. We're comparing torments and paradise, right? So when we think about eternal, our, our final, eternal destination, there'll be no one in hell looking up to you. So don't confuse the Hadean realm with we'll be able to look up and see others in heaven and vice versa. That's not what we're talking about. Here he looked up his eyes and saw him afar off and Lazarus in his bosom there in verse 23. Now, in all reality, verse 23 really is enough to say that this man was in a nightmare situation. He was in torment, which means he was in agony. Torment means he was being tormented. You know how bright this torment is? You can talk about all the things people said about him, you know about tormenting mentally. Remember the scourging? That was torment. That was torture. The cross was torment. That was torture. Excruciating pain. 
But here for the for the rich man, the Bible says it would not come to an end, at least not to the day of judgment, which we know eventually what, because he was already unfaithful, he would not be going to heaven either way. And so it would not be a something that would actually come to an end. He was in torment and hanging, he lifted up his eyes, and saw Abraham was far off and Lazarus in his bosom. He saw what? Lazarus being comforted while he was being tormented. So that's how the person is saying. Very hard to view, wasn't it? Very hard to see. Look at verse 24 now. And verse 24 and Paul, we find what I call his fourfold nightmare. You really could include this in there as a fifthfold. We have at least a fourfold nightmare. One in verse 24 was that he cried out and said, Lord Abraham, have mercy on me, and to Lazarus, that he may dip the dip in his finger in water and pull my tongue. Right, tormented in, in this flame. So here he is talking about being tormented by a flame, right? That, you can say the first or the second torment, right? He includes the prior verse, and this could be actually the second. But he's tormented in this flame. The second fold of his nightmare, the Bible says that there was no relief for even a moment, because he backed up 24, that's what he's asking for, right? Send Lazarus. Why would you want to Lazarus to torment just to try to ease this burden of this man for just a moment? But Abraham said, So remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and you are tormented. And besides all this, between us and you there is a great gulf fixed. But those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass. To us, there was no crossing over. There was no relief that could come. And as Abraham points out, that's not how this works anyway. You're going to stay right there, and Lazarus is going to stay right here. There was no relief for even a moment. The next fold of this nightmare, verse 26, is that there was no escape, right? He says, There's a great gulf fixed, and those of the past from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. You're not going anywhere. You're tormented. There is no relief, and there is no escape. You know, there's a big thing now to have these rooms, these different buildings they call them called escape rooms. You can go in, and they have certain things you accomplish, and you try to get out of this escape, this room, at a certain period of time, and then you escape in your whatever your character doesn't die or whatever. It's a very big thing in Tulsa and some other places as well where you can go and do those types of things. It's just for fun. For the rich man, it was nothing he could solve that would allow him to escape. There was nothing he could do to find comfort for just a moment. Not even comfort, but just relief for just a moment. There was no escape. There was no relief. You might say the worst part of all wasn't the pain it wasn't there was no relief, it wasn't there was no escape, but it wasn't he could not warn anybody else. In verse 27 and 28, the Bible says that he said, this being the third rich man, I beg you therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment, saying, Go and have him warn my brothers. But that's not possible either. We find, we continue reading in verse 29 and following, that he says, Oh, someone rises from the dead. He says, If someone rises from the dead, they will not listen. He talked about how they had Moses and others that they could have listened to, and they didn't. 
He's saying there is no way to warn your five brothers. They're going to have to decide for themselves about aid from that certain rich man, about the aid of their brother who's already passed on this place of torment. He could not warn them if you don't straighten up. More than that, if you don't come to obedience in Christ, you're going to be right here with me. And the Bible points out for this parable of the rich man and Lazarus here that he had consciousness, right? I mean, after all, he's talking to Abraham. Doesn't also tell us that you have to think about his five brothers. So the nightmare of the rich man was far worse than just tormenting, far worse than just no relief, far worse than no escape. It's far worse than he there was no uh, help at all. The worst part of the logic I can say very easily that he could not warn that his own family that they could come to the same exact place. We look at verse 25. We make we have a comparison here, and that's the peaceful rest of Lazarus. He was not in torments. He was not in pain or in agony. He was not trying to get over to help someone or you know, trying to have someone come and help him. He wasn't trying to go more than others. He was, the Bible says, he was comforted in that new place. So if you think about things that can cause nightmares, things that can scare us, what the Christians should really fear is not things which we see on television, not movies, not TV shows, not scary little series we find online. What we should really fear is that heaven and hell are real and that we can go to the wrong place. We find here in verse 25 with the rich man Lazarus. The Bible makes it very clear. Abraham speaks very clearly. He says that Lazarus is now comforted and the rich man was now tormented. A place that was no doubt a place that caused many nightmares. A place that caused great fear. As we conclude this morning, we'll have just two questions we want to look at before we close. And the first one is very simple. Who will see Christ once and never again? Who will see Christ one time but then never see him ever again? The unfaithful on judgment. The unfaithful are the only ones who will see Christ one singular time and never see him again. Could that be a source of nightmares, thinking about the words that Christ says, the disobedient? The Bible makes it very clear that he will turn to the disobedient and tell them, depart from me, I never do workers of iniquity, right? Workers of sin, workers of evil. That's enough for us to think about what we're, we were in that situation. It would cause us great distress, anxiety, and worry, and pain. And our second and final question is this. Who will dwell with him for eternity? See, for the Christian, they don't see Christ the last time. They see Christ for the first time. They see him for the first time, not for the last time. The Bible reveals that the faithful will dwell with God and with Christ with all the other faithful for all eternity. So the Christian will see Christ on the judgment day for the very first time. The wicked will see him for the first and last time. If we think about things in 
cause us great stress and great worry, it should be that we're not prepared for the judgment day. Because we pass in this life before we are prepared. There's something we can do about this. The rich man learned that lesson in the most painful way possible, didn't he? There was nothing he could do about it. He could not help anyone else. He couldn't even help himself. There was pain. There was no relief. There was no escape. And there was no warning others. It was a place of true nightmares coming to life. This morning, as you think about these things, we want to make sure that we are prepared for the judgment day. That we are prepared ourselves, and that we are doing what we can to try to warn and prepare others as well. Because the last thing we want to do is find ourselves on the judgment day worried about where we're going, but also worried about where our loved ones are going to show up. Let's make sure that we are prepared for the judgment day. So when we think about the judgment day, it's not a day that causes us nightmares and causes us to be afraid. But the day that instead, because we are prepared, is the day that we look forward to, not a day that we look to in fear. We hope you enjoyed this program. We encourage you to subscribe to our podcast on Pandora, Spotify, or Podbean. Thanks for listening.